0: Hi, welcome everybody to FlexLNG's first quarter results presentation. i am Östen Karl CEO of FlexLNG Management, and I will be joined by our CFO, Knut Troholt, who will walk you through the numbers a bit later in this webcast. As usual, we will conclude with our Q&A session, where the best question can win our Flex on the Beach summer kit, which I will be presenting a bit later in the presentation. Uh, please use the chat function. Uh, to, to, to post a question, or you can also send an email to flexlng.com. So, before we start, just a friendly reminder about our disclaimer. In the presentation, we will be giving some forward-looking statements, and there are also limitations to the completeness of details we can provide in such a uh, presentation. So, with that, uh, let's review the uh, highlights for the quarter. Revenues came in at 92.5 million, which was in line with our guidance of 90 to 93 million. Average time charter equivalent earnings for the ships were slightly above $80,000 per day, also in line with the guidance for the year of about $80,000. This resulted in strong numbers with adjusted net income of 35.2 million for the quarter, uh, translating into 66 cents per share. During the quarter we completed the balance sheet optimization program where we have refinanced all the 13 ships in our fleet with attractive long-term financing. Through this process, we have also released 387 million of cash proceeds in total, and this boosted our cash balance at quarter-end to 475 million, an all-time high, which translates into about $9 per share in cash. We have also recently carried out the first two dry dockings of Flex Endeavour and Flex Enterprise, both according to schedule and budget. During Q2, we will do another two dockings, so in total three dry dockings for Q2, and this results in revenues for this quarter being guided at 85 to 90 million. Once we have completed the dry docking program in June, our quarterly revenues will pick up in Q3 and Q4, with uh, quarterly revenues of around 90 to 100 million. For these two quarters, so we are also reaffirming our revenue guidance of 370 million for the year, which should translate into an expected adjusted EBITDA of around 290 to 295 million. So, with a very strong financial position and minimum 57 years of contractual backlog, our board has decided to once again pay out a quarterly ordinary dividend of $0. 75 cents per share. During the last 12 months, we have thus paid out $3.75 per share in dividends. And this has given our investors an uh, attractive yield of around 11%. So that's the highlight. Let's continue. So as I mentioned, we are reaffirming our revenue guidance of 370 million for the full year 2023. As you can see here in uh, the graph, Q1 revenues this year was significantly stronger than last year as we uh, had limit uh, or uh, spot exposure to one ship on variable higher time charter and actually the spot market was pretty firm during Q1. For Q2, as I mentioned, we have three ships which will be doing uh, dry docking during this quarter and Q2 is also usually the softest spot market and this will affect the one ship we have on variable TC. Once we have done with June, and getting into Q3 and Q4, all the 13 ships will be in operations, and usually we will see the seasonal uptick in charter rates during Q3 and Q4, which is also evident from the forward prices, and uh, thus revenues will grow to closer to 100 million for uh, those quarters. So, uh, as I mentioned, dry docking, uh, we have been doing our first dry docking, the two first ships, Flex Enterprise and Endeavour, was delivered early, 2018, and now we are now due for the five-year special survey. Uh, Flex Enterprise carried out this in March, while our sister ship Flex Endeavour uh, carried out her five-year special docking in April, both in, in, in Singapore. Uh, in our last presentation, we ha- guided that in total these four dry dockings would take out uh, 80 to 90 days uh, of operations, or 20 to 22 and a half days, uh, on average, we have managed to do this within 18 days, so we are slightly below uh, time, and we are st- also uh, on the low side of the budget. Uh, CapEx in total for each ship $4.5 million versus guided uh, $4.5 to to 5000000 So in, in uh, Q2, as I mentioned, Ranger and Rainbow will also be docked, and these are to be completed within June and uh, the ships will then be in operation for the full Q3 and Q4. So uh, as I mentioned, high contract coverage, 57 years of minimum contractual backlog. Uh, This slide is the same as we had in our uh, Q4 presentation. During last year, we did extend the contractual uh, backlog on several ships, uh, as you can see here with uh, Rainbow being extended 10 years, Endeavour, Vigilant, Amber, Enterprise and Ranger. All these ships were extended for longer durations and the first fully open ships we have today is Flex Ranger early parts of 2027 and Flex Constellation uh, middle 2027 if the charter is electing to extend her for the three years which they have an option to do. So I think in terms of uh, these uh, durations we have a good coverage now uh, in near term when uh, export growth is to be expected to be muted and then uh, we have open ships from 2027 once a lot of new LNG is coming on stream and where we are also competing against new buildings at uh, very high prices as I will come back to uh, in the market section of the presentation. Uh, and once again our dividend uh, decision factors as you can see here uh, Uh, For this quarter we are paying out the $0.75 of ordinary dividend per share. We have paid out two special dividends the last year, $0.50 for Q2, $0.25 for Q4. So in total the last 12 months we have paid out $3.75 of dividend, which gives a yield of 11-12% depending on where the share price is. So we think this should give our investors an attractive uh, yield. Uh, All the parameters here are green. Uh, We have Good earnings, market outlook is good. We have this big contractual uh, coverage. Liquidity at 475 million is super strong. And then we we don't really have any debt maturities before 2028 as the earliest. Other considerations, right now I think most people are uh, a bit focused on on, uh, the the aggressive Fed, uh, ramping up interest rate on the short-term side where we do have a very inverted yield curve uh, and, and Knut will uh, discuss a bit what kind of opportunities this, uh, this has given us in the swap market. So uh, with that, Knut,
1: I hand it over to you too. Thank you. Thank you, Stein. And as already mentioned, uh, revenues for the quarter came in at uh, 92.5 million. That gives us a uh, time charter earnings uh, average for the fleet of uh, eight, close to 80,200. OPEX, another strong quarter uh, where we maintain the uh, OPEX control, uh, where we have uh, OPEX per day of 13,400. If we look more into the details, uh, on the revenues we have 5.5 million lower than last quarter, and that is uh, driven by um, uh, lower seasonal earnings on the variable higher contract, and the off-hire days uh, uh, related to dry docking of the flex enterprise. Uh, then we have some uh, uh, more non-cash item uh, on the income statement. Um, the net uh, loss on derivatives is 2.8 million. Uh, as you can see uh, in the notes on the side it's 7.8 million in unrealized uh, mark-to-market loss uh, from the derivatives so And then we have realized gains of five million from the the swap portfolio, uh, which is sort of our carry cost. Um, With the completion of the balance sheet optimization program, uh, we have exit cost of our debt uh, It's 8.8 million of write-off of debt issuance cost and then a termination fee of 1.4 million. That gives us a net income for the quarter of uh, 16.5 million or uh, earnings per share of 31 cents. Adjusted for the non-cash items, uh, we have adjusted net income of 35.2 million and then uh, resulting in uh, adjusted earnings per share of 66 cents per share. So let's have a look at the details on the adjustments. Um, that we have made to arrive at the adjusted net income. If we look at the quarter and quarter differences on the net income, uh, operating income is uh, $6 million million lower, uh, driven by the off-hire in connection with the dry docking of Flex Enterprise and the seasonal lower revenues under the variable hire contract for the Flex Artemis. Quarter-on-quarter debt cost is uh, um, 8.5 million uh, which is basically driven by the completion of the refinancing under the balance sheet optimization program and then uh, derivatives where we had a mark-to-market loss were here on a a quarter-on-quarter basis 7.7 million. Uh, With the smaller other effects we arrive at the net income of uh, uh, 16.5 million And when we then (coughs) um, reconcile to adjusted net income, we add back the non-cash items uh, which are are the debt uh, issuance cost write-off in total uh, together uh, with the termination fee of 10.2 million. And then we have the uh, unrealized market loss uh, on the derivatives of 7.9 million and then a smaller FX effect on our NOC portfolio. So in total, uh, we uh, adjust them back and arrive at the adjusted net income of 35 million uh, 200. The balance sheet remains uh, robust and clean uh, with an all-time high cash position of 475000000 Uh, and we have an equity of 871 that gives us an equity ratio of 31%. If we look at the cash movements for the quarter, uh, we increased the cash balance by 143 million, which is mainly driven by the completion of the uh, balance sheet optimization program, where we have a net proceed of 196 million, and then net of the dividends paid last quarter of 54 million, we end up with the all-time high of 475. During the quarter uh, we have uh, been active uh, with our hedging portfolio. Uh, we have utilized uh, uh, the market when the interest rates have been high to lock in uh, the market value on some of our swaps. Here we have a Uh, For those who recall we had a two and a half year uh, 181 million dollar swap at uh, where we are paying fixed uh, uh, 0.9%. When the market rate was high at at 4.8 we locked in that market value by doing a so-called mirror swap where we will receive 4.8 fixed and pay Uh, the 0.9% to the bank. And that locks in 15 million of market uh, market value, which will be distributed back to us over the remaining period of that swap. We have also increased uh, our hedging portfolio. Um, When the uh, short term interest rate uh, dropped, in total, we increased with $260 million. Um, And then we also added 50 million of 10-year swaps. That gives us a total swap portfolio of uh, 820 million, um, and as you see, at very attractive rates. And in combination with the fixed rate elements of our leases, of in total here 208, uh, 205 million, uh, we have a net hedge ratio of 62% and then uh, remaining there around the 60 to 65% for the coming uh, quarters. Uh, so this is net of the 400 million dollar uh, RCF capacity we have. So by in, uh, increasing the RCF capacity, we have also effectively increased our hedge ratio. So if we look at uh, our financings, we completed uh, the, the uh, refinancing exercise last quarter with uh, within total six vessels uh, that gives us uh, now a debt-funding portfolio where about 50% are long-term leases and then 441 million of amortized term loans. And then we have the RCF of 400 million which is a bullet for the, for the full tenor of the loans. Uh, and by that we have pushed out uh, the debt maturity profile. So as already mentioned by Asten, first maturity is in 2028 and if we utilize a uh, extension option uh, at no cost uh, for two of our leases, the latest one are then to be refinanced in 2035. So with
0: that, I hand it back to Knut. Okay. <coughs> okay, let's uh, have a look at the market. LNG export change in the first uh, four months of the year, uh, the period January to end of April, we saw about 5% uh, growth in the market. And for the first time in a long time, actually the biggest driver was not America because of the the outage on the Freeport export terminal in US. So the growth came from Qatar and Australia, the two big other players in the LNG export uh, market. And then actually Norway as well, where we had uh, the Hammerfest uh, plant uh, running now for the full quarter. All the countries contributed by about uh, two and a half million tons. On the import side, we do see the same trend we saw last year, where Europe is really gobbling up uh, spot cargos in order to replace uh, the lost volumes from uh, Russian pipeline gas. So, so and, and uh, in Asia, it's been a bit slow uh, start for China. Uh, growth was flat uh, during January and February. And then we did see that uh, growth in, in the Chinese market started to, to fire up from, from March and onwards, uh, as uh, they have been uh, uh, lessening the, the, or, or basically scrapping the, the COVID policies they've had in place for some time now. Uh, If you look at the gas prices, it's been a very volatile ride (laughs) Uh, uh, during the summer of COVID. uh, European gas prices was as low as a dollar per million BTU, uh, translating into, let's call it, six dollars per barrel of oil. Uh, After uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, really, we saw a big rally in in global LNG prices uh, where Europe bought up a lot of spot cargos uh, and we saw a peak of uh, European gas prices at about $100 so we had a run from $1 to $100 on the gas prices this equates to about $600 per million for a barrel of oil uh, but now uh, we have had a big slump in, in gas prices we have had a mild winter here in Europe and, uh, and we have also seen the high prices have really uh, incentivized people to to cut down consumption and prices have now balanced down to around 10 11 dollars per million BTU where actually uh, LNG becomes competitive uh, towards uh, uh, oil uh, basically we are now being uh, traded at let's call it 60 dollars per barrel of oil equivalent Uh, And that is also feeding up demand from Asia, where we've seen more interest now to buy LNG in the spot market uh, as prices have come down. Uh, Henry Hub is basically flatlined. It's also been quite volatile, but uh, but, uh, now the prices have really come down in in America, which means that it's still with $10, $10, $11 for the spot prices. It's immensely profitable to sell these cargoes into the global market. From the U.S. market. Uh, so in terms of America we do see here the, the growth in, in exports we had uh, uh, in, in during COVID of course we had a lot of voluntary cancellations we had some cancellation during the big freeze in February 2021 20, uh, and now last summer when you had the explosion at the Freeport terminal in, in US we have had uh, significant uh, Downtime on the plant, it's you know, no bounced back, and uh, but in all to- in total 128 cargos uh, assumed by S&P Global that has been cancelled, or 9.5 million tons, but now uh, exports are uh, ramping up again. And, and we do see and expect that U.S. will become the biggest uh, exporter of LNG in 2023 with pretty healthy growth, 14% according to EIA for the year. Uh, the other big uh, player in, uh, in, uh, in the LNG uh, market is, of course, China. So uh, China became the biggest uh, importer in 2021, surpassing so uh, Japan uh, at uh, about 80 million tons uh, equivalent of uh, imports, uh, which is basically the production of US last year. Uh, so far, we have, you know, this is something we follow closely to see how the reopening of China is affecting demand and I guess it's a big million dollar question for for most investors these days we saw a flat growth uh, January and February as I mentioned but then we saw uh, LNG demand picking up March and April uh, uh, which have you know on average 17% growth for those two months so it's a bit too early to conclude but uh, there are some positive sentiments towards uh, Chinese uh, imports and especially when prices are at these kind of levels. Uh, EIA and Energy Aspect expect Chinese LNG uh, demand to grow 10 15% this year, which will uh, then uh, result in China going from about 64 million tons of expo- imports last year to about 70 million tons. But this is still 10 million tons below the imports. Uh, of 2021, so we do expect to see continued growth of the Chinese market and the Chinese buyers are signing up to a lot of SPAs. Uh, China has contracted LNG volumes of around 70 million tons, but they are big buyers of new volumes as well. So the story about uh, Chinese uh, LNG import growth uh, is far from over. Uh, as I mentioned, European uh, gas market has had a lot of focus with the uh, with uh, the situation in Ukraine and with the Russian pipeline uh, gas flows uh, uh, tapering off. Uh, we have uh, in Europe this year been incredibly lucky. It's been a very mild winter and this together with the high, pi- high prices have resulted in lo- a lot less uh, gas demand in Europe uh, which have then resulted in uh, storage levels keeping up at pretty good level. We have seen, Uh, uh, storage levels above historical range. Uh, The injection season now is a bit slow, so we are getting into the customary range for for, uh, development of the gas storage level. So, you know, the the big question this year is uh, how strong will the import demand be from Asia? How fierce will the, the competition be in terms of prices? Uh, will Europe then be able to get uh, these inventories levels up to uh, a satisfactory level before winter. And uh, and as I mentioned again, the drivers here in the market is the competition between Asian and and European gas demand. Let's see, Uh, spot rates or the freight market, we are not really that uh, exposed to the uh, spot freight market any longer. Uh, 12 or our 13 ships are on long-term charters with a fixed rate. We have one ship which has been on a variable higher TC, or which is on a variable higher TC, Flex Artemis. Q1, pretty good levels there. You can see on the light blue line on the left-hand side that uh, the market during Q1 was pretty good, uh, but has followed the seasonal norm where usually uh, rates come down to earth uh, during uh, uh, the spring. So, uh, right now we are basically on Our average level for the last couple of years Uh, and then this dotted line is where the future market is. So as I mentioned when we have been uh, guiding our revenues for Q3 and Q4, we do expect that uh, reality will follow this path where rates are expected to be in the $200,000 plus uh, at the end of the year. Uh, Another thing to note, uh, we have mentioned this also in the past, is the fact that uh, a lot of the big players here, they have chartered in ships on longer-term contracts, and there's really few uh, independent owners left in the spot market, which means that most of the fixtures, which there are fewer of, but uh, the ones being concluded is mostly of relets where uh, uh, people with or, or players, traders, portfolio players with the gap in the program are subletting out ships for shorter duration voyages, uh, uh, while uh, while, uh, while the independent owners are, are very <laughs> limited involvement in the spot market these days. Uh, so, uh, another reason why we are upbeat about the long-term outlook is uh, new building prices, which have just kept on moving upwards. We are at around $260 million for new building prices for LNG carrier today. Uh, you, you are quite lucky if you manage to get still a ship. For 2027, the window is now Uh, closing in on 2028 deliveries so uh, these ships that uh, have this price tag for delivery 2027 28 those are the one we are competing with and in order to get a reasonable return on your capital when making such a big investment you need higher rates and uh, that's where rates have gone the five-year time charter rates It has stabilized at a very attractive level of around $135,000. But actually, to be fair, most people who are ordering ships at 260 million, they are not looking for five year time charters. They are looking for time charters of 10 years plus. So that's the one we are competing with. And that uh, makes us upbeat about being able to extend our ships for longer duration at higher rates uh, eventually when they come open. As we have demonstrated our ability to do also in the past. So if you look at the order book, it's huge uh, and it's been keep on growing. We have seen some slower activity now on ordering given the uh, lack of available slots and given where prices have been going. Uh, But, you know, a positive sign is at least that there's not a lot of speculative orders. Most of the ships, about 90% of the ships under construction, are committed to long term contracts. And as I mentioned here, you can see that the order book for 2028 now is already filling up. So uh, if we look at the product markets, uh, the installed capacity of LNG export uh, at the end of March was about 465 million tons. I.e. we are not utilizing the full capacity. We do expect uh, total export for 2023 to be around 415 to 420 million tons. So there are some downtime on on installed capacity. Uh, There is also a lot of capacity being constructed, especially in uh, North America, and then of course in Qatar, where they have a huge expansion. So um, if you look at the projects being under construction uh, and uh, coming on stream near term, uh, this volume goes up to 621 million, and we do expect more projects still to be uh, sanctioned. Uh, so we are looking here at a market of, let's call it around 770 million tons in 2030. And this growth of liquefaction capacity together with the phase out of older steam tonnage is, uh, is, uh, is what is attracting demand for modern ships like we have in our portfolio. So that's it. Uh, I think we can then conclude by going through the highlights just shortly. Mention uh, revenues in line with our guidance, 92.5 million. Uh, We had uh, uh, average time charter equivalent earnings of about 80,000 also in line with our guidance. This resulted in adjusted net income uh, of 35.2 million or 66 cents per share. Uh, We have completed the balance sheet optimization program. Uh, It's been a Process now going on for about one half year, where we refinanced all the 13 ships and boosting our cash balance, as I mentioned, at 475 million of cash at hand at quarter end or $9 per ship. We have k- started our dry docking schedule. Everything is going well. Both uh, two first ships have been, been uh, completed according to schedule and budget. And we are now planning for the two last uh, dry dockings uh, for the year, expected to take place in June. Uh, we are reaffirming our revenue guidance for the year, 370 million. Uh, revenues next quarter will be a bit softer because of the, these dry dockings but uh, all ships will be in operation again, full capacity for, from Q3, where uh, revenues are expected to pick up again. So uh, with a good financial position and uh, our big charter backlog, we are pleased to once again pay out 75 cents per share in dividends. Uh, Uh, or 3.75 dollars per share the last 12 months which i hope give our investors an attractive yield uh, investing in flex so with that i think we take a short break before we come back with our q a session where as i mentioned you can win our flex on the beach summer kit thank you Okay, Knut, Um, I think before we start with the questions, uh, maybe we can show the gift we have this time. This time we have our summer team, as I mentioned, flex on the beach, beach towel. Together, of course, you need some protection with the flex on the beach, sunscreen or cap, of course. We have to include the I Love Dividends t-shirt this time as well. And lastly, sunglasses so let's see who will win the this nice summer package and I think we have a lot of questions today uh, Knut.
1: yes thanks uh, a lot for the questions coming in there's a lot of questions and uh, we'll try to take them in, in order and in sequence uh, but maybe we can start off um, a question forwarded uh, from the investor Jenny Harrington uh, she was on CNBC and put up a couple of questions and they've been forwarded. Okay. So, um, uh, and that uh, starts off with how does the low natural gas prices in the US impact Flex LNG?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a complex question. It's, there's more answer than just one. It's short term and long term. Of course, in the long term, if prices for natural gas stays very low in, in US, of course, this will disincentivize new drilling activity which is of course crucial in order to hold production up uh, this has not been a problem so far the, the, we set new records all the time on on us gas production and one of the reasons is uh, that wells are becoming more gaseous as you are uh, drilling um, but you know you need to have a sustainable return on equity on our capital in these projects so so we don't really like that uh, prices are this low of course short-term why is that means that exporting cargos out of U.S. Uh, is very profitable because the, uh, the price difference between U.S. gas prices and international gas prices are bigger, which means that those people exporting cargos are making more money on LNG, and this is also the case actually on LPG. So, so you know, it's a bit like this story about Goldilocks, where, you know, you don't want it to be too hot, you don't want it to be too cold, so you need to find some kind of sweet spot. Uh, I think luckily, of course, most, uh, a lot of the wells, you're not really drilling for gas. Some uh, wells, you're also drilling for oil and and, and the gas is just associated gas. So you also have to see it in connection with the oil prices, which have been pretty firm. So as long as oil price is pretty firm, you will be drilling for oil and usually then you will find associated gas. But where you are looking for dry gas, you need, probably to have higher prices in the U.S. than what you have had today but keep in mind gas prices in U.S. has also been quite volatile where there have been periods of time where people have been raking in also on selling gas domestically in the U.S.
1: Um, and then it's a question on shipping and shipping has uh, historically been a volatile uh, sector or the different segments into it but mm. It uh, mentions that uh, historically investors have been burned on shipping companies. Yeah. What's the difference with Flex? <laughs> yeah. Does the charter agreements make it different than other shipping companies?
0: Yeah, of course, shipping has always been volatile. So it's, it's a derivative of the global GDP. And usually uh, sh- trade, trade uh, ha- historically at least, have been growing Uh, quicker than GDP uh, but but this is also uh, a problem on the downside when GDP growth slows uh, less shipping activity. I think what makes Flex different from most commodity shipping segments is of course the fact that we have taken out a lot of this commercial risk by fixing our ships on long-term charters where we have very high level of uh, earnings visibility Uh, uh, and uh, this, this you can also see in our or uh, earnings and revenues. If you look at the revenue graph we're showing uh, for the guidance for this year, uh, there's very small changes in the, in the revenues from one quarter to the next because of this stability we have through long-term charters. Uh, and also actually revenues are quite stable over the years, not only the quarters. So I think we are different in that, in that regard because we, we have a bit different
1: commercial strategy than most commodity shipping companies. Mm. And that brings us into the to the dividend and how secure it is. As with the U.S. Uh, Treasury yielding five percent, uh, is flex an alternative for people looking for higher yield? Yeah, you know, I, you know, savers have had a bad time since uh,
0: global financial crisis because, well, actually they have had it pretty bad the last forty years or so because interest rate been going down and. You know, the the yield you are getting on your savings become less and less, more or less every year. Now, the last year or so, it's been picking up, but, you know, real interest rates been still been pretty low because of the high level of inflation. Yes, 5% is the short-term interest rate today. I don't, but markets don't really think that yields will stay at this elevated level short-term. While one-year treasury yields is 4.8% today, Two-year is uh, 4%. And then if you go all the way to 10 years, you're back, you're back to 3.5%. So I think you know if you're investing you know, f- for income investing, uh, what you're getting in you know, a safe asset today, uh, let's see, <laughs> we have a debt ceiling coming up, but it's a fairly safe investment, 10-year government bonds in the US. That gives you 3.5%. We are giving a much better return. As I mentioned, about 11% yield here, uh the last twelve months based on the dividend. Of course this dividend is also safe in the fact that we have no ships open this year. The earliest possible ship is next year where we have thus ninety five percent coverage if if you assume options will not be exercised. We we think it's more probable than not. And actually then the first open ship is uh twenty twenty seven. So that gives us a, a very visible cash flow of income, which uh, (laughs) as we have also said in the presentation, these earnings belong to the shareholder and we are motivated uh, to pay that out as dividend and that should give you a much better yield than what you are getting on uh, government bonds these days.
1: So then let's uh, turn to the questions on the market. Um, What's uh, your outlook um, for your LNG transport out of US for 2023, 2024?
0: Yeah, I think last quarter our Q4 report, we had a graph on uh, uh, our uh, projected uh, supply situation for 2023. We are assuming 16 million tons of growth growing, uh, global go- uh, exports growing from 400 to 416. And this might be a bit low when we see the EIA numbers, but half of that is US, so kind of the free port coming on stream is most of this effect but then uh, and then the remaining growth is from rest of the world 2024 will be a year where we will have very muted export uh, growth but then from 25 and onwards there will be more exports so that's why we feel it's been a good strategy for us to fix our ship in this window where uh, global growth in exports will be low before this growth uh, takes off again from 25 26 27 onwards when our ships are coming open.
1: And will then look at the import regions. Um, last year and this year has been a lot of imports to Europe. Hmm. Um, is uh, Europe and EU an important market for flex?
0: Yeah, it's, it's not really it. we who decide where the cargoes will be flowing. Uh, we, s- we, we charter our ships on time charter, so the charter will then have uh, the opportunity to trade the ship worldwide including Europe, uh, and they actually instruct us uh, uh, where the ship will be going. So, so we don't really have an impact uh, on that. Uh, they, they are deciding where they find the best price for the cargoes. But of course, uh, with all the Russian gas uh, coming through pipelines, which has been shut down, this means that uh, Europe has a, a large uh, deficit of uh, gas and, and basically what they have been doing now Uh, for the last year or so is to replace some of that Russian pipeline gas with LNG. Of course, there are not enough LNG to fill the whole gap. And that's why uh, Europe needs to be a bit patient here until new LNG is coming on stream. Uh, And until that, you will have a pretty tight market where we have seen prices at a level which has been demand-destructing. Right now, prices come down to to fairly normal levels, but Expectations is for higher prices
1: when we're coming into the peak winter seasons. And uh, now with LNG pricing uh, being more moderated, have you seen uh, Asia return to the to the import? Yeah, we've shown it uh, in a couple graphs there uh, that uh, we see some
0: more growth from uh, from Asia. Uh, we do see this also in the routing of our ships. We see more ships going to Asia than have been the case recently, uh, and of course, suddenly then when. LNG in always, let's call it 20, 25% discount to, uh, to oil. And coal prices are pretty elevated as well. That is stimulating demand. And I think it's stimulating demand at a good time also because uh, inflation been high in Europe because of the high gas prices with the energy prices coming down now. That will put less pressure on the inflation. Uh, and of course, with China reflating their economy, having actually cheaper uh, energy prices will probably help in the recovery of the Chinese economy as well.
1: Um, then we have a question for Mike Otten, um, which goes more on the, on the fleet uh, and uh, the steam tankers. It's a topic you've uh, yeah. uh, covered uh, yeah. over the years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's been mentioned that these will be uncompetitive and, uh, and scrapped and that has not materialized yet. There's been some scrapping, but it's been very low. Uh,
0: And of course, the reason for that is that uh, the shipping market has been tight. Uh, There's been, in periods, been a total lack of ships available in the market. So when we have such high uh, rates, uh, people are trading their ships longer because still even a a steamship which has a lot of disadvantages compared to modern ships, Uh, they can still make a decent return. And I think uh, as long as that is the case, uh, uh, people have been trading them. And also keep in mind a lot of new regulation came in force from 2023 and onwards. So eventually, as this regulation is tightened in terms of the CIA requirements, uh, also the European carbon taxation, which is becoming increasingly tight, uh, more expensive to comply with, that will reduce the uh, fleet of steamships going forward. Uh, so it's taken uh, maybe a bit more time than some people expected, but this is mostly due to the very favorable freight economics, which then results in in those ships uh, living a bit longer than maybe some people anticipated.
1: Then we have um, questions on the, on the open vessels in 2027. So if we start off with more timing of uh, uh, securing a contract, that is it more realistic that the, these charters will be signed in 12, 24, or 36 months?
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think we evidenced it last year. When I went to our fleet list, we, we, we uh, showed uh, several of our ships. We, we extended quite a lot of ships. Last year, uh, most recently in uh, November, we extended ships which were not coming open before 26 for longer durations, all the way uh, possibly to 2033. Uh, so uh, we do see people now looking for ships for 27, even start people looking for ships for 28. There are tenders, there are discussions in the market. So I think we, we are uh, well positioned to, to participate in those discussions. And, uh, as I mentioned here, we are competing against uh, very expensive ships that need a high charter rate and probably a duration in order to defend that investment. So so I think uh, I wouldn't rule out that uh, we will be able to also this year add more backlog to the fleet. Let's say uh, we have 13 ships in, in operation. So every year we are losing 13 years of backlog. Hopefully we will be able to add more Than 13 years of backlog so that actually we are not uh, eating off that backlog but rather uh, expanding our backlog Uh, that i would say would be the aim and and i don't rule out uh, that happening within 12 months uh,
1: rather than the 24 or 36 months Hmm. and a question from uh, min nuang considering the age and technology gap between the 2027 new building and uh, the two strokes in the flex fleet um, will the vessels achieve the same market rates as the new building?
0: Yeah, I think so, uh, because uh, kind of the change in technology that has ha- happened has of course happened abruptly. We had from steam to four-stroke uh, medium-speed diesel-electric ships and then eventually to the direct-drive slow-speed two-stroke uh, ships. Uh, as you can see from the pictures here, uh, we have uh, both on the front page. and on the docking slide, these ships are in prime condition. When they come out of yard, they look brand new. And the propulsion system is actually the same you have in the new builds. It's a slow-speed two-stroke engine. Uh, you know There might be some more gadgets on, on a new ship for delivery 27, 28. Maybe they have air lubrication system, but so far, the effect of the air lubrication systems have been, you know, <laughs> Uh, not everybody is as happy with it as uh, uh, the poster uh, uh, promised. Um, some ships might have a shaft generator, but that doesn't really affect uh, uh, much on the fuel consumption. It's really more effects on the, on, the, on, the, on the OPEX cost or the maintenance cost. So there's not really any change in, in fuel, fuel cost in, in, in that sense. So, so uh, you know, three of our ships have uh, full relic systems. Four of them have partial relic systems. So I think these are uh, comparable to the new modern ships that uh, are being built now to 260 mil. Uh, and also, actually, uh, there is some benefit uh, the fact that most of our ships are sister ships. They have been uh, trading on most important export terminals and they're already cleared. So every time you go to a new terminal, you need to do a ship shore compatibility study. We have done quite a lot of them, so all our ships more or less are, are kind of uh, already vetted and improved for most terminals around the world. So so maybe there might be a sm- small discount given the fact they are not as uh, brand new, but, uh, but the technology is, is basically the
1: same. Hmm. And then we have uh, moving on to the more on the balance sheet and the financing. And Scott McFadden uh, been looking at our long-term debt and total liabilities. It's been rising over the, the past quarters. Uh, he would like us to discuss uh, our attitude towards the total debt levels and if we have any plans to reduce that. Oh, maybe you should Ex- answer it Yes. <laughs> so uh, uh, we've completed this uh, balance sheet optimization program, basically refinancing the full 13-vessel fleet. Um, that has been the background for that was the transition for FLEX both on the backlog of, uh, of contracts that's been building up and increasing over time. That gives us access to, uh, to new capital or to new debt at better terms. So we have uh, increased our repayment profiles, reduced our uh, credit margins, um, improved the, the, the maturity profile. So that's the argument for us for refinancing the full fleet and then we have not really pushed for higher leverage but we have uh, released 400 nearly 400 million dollars of cash and that has been structured as a bullet rcf so if we have access cash we can reduce uh, the rcf and thereby also Implicit the the debt level as long as we don't need the cash. But it gives us the flexibility to to act and support uh, the business uh, going forward.
0: So bullet means it's non amortising for those who's not (laughs) (laughs) into the finance industry. And it means really we have like a big 400 million credit line available at basically three days notice. Uh, We pay only around 0.7% interest rate per annum in commitment fee to keep it around. And it gives us a lot of financial flexibility. We don't, we don't utilize this at all time. We utilize it at a quarter ends to, to, show that we have this cash available, but uh, but it's low cost of, uh, of of having. And also another factor here is that uh, we have had the best financing market, I would say since 2007. Uh, I was uh, fi- doing ship financing back then. Uh, last time we had something similar. Good financing market, I would say, it was 2014. I was CFO then, and I did about $2 billion of financing that year. I think actually 2022 has been a better uh, financing market for us. So Knut's been doing then uh, yeah, basically $2 billion of financing. And then we have secured that financing for a very long period of time from 2028 to 2035. So that financed in locked in on very good terms terms, which I don't think is replicable uh, today given where funding costs from banks have mm-hmm. gone up since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, Reddit Swiss, uh, First Republic. So uh, I think we are in very good shape. You should uh, finance or uh, get, <laughs> get financing when it's cheap uh, and lock it in. And that's exactly what we've done.
1: And on the, um, the graph we have on the other slide we have on the balance sheet, uh, you see there that. Uh, uh, the book values on our, bo- uh, on, our, on our balance sheet is based on nearly all-time low uh, vessel values when they were acquired. Uh, so if you look at uh, the leverage levels on the book values, they are rather conservative compared to the market values and also considering the, the contract backlog that we have. Yeah. Were your contracted
0: chips when they were cheap? we we'll try to, uh, as, good, as, as good as we can, lock them in on long-term charters when rates are high and then finance them when liquidity is plentiful and cheap. So, uh, you know, I th- think we've done a pretty good job so
1: far. <laughs> uh, and that comes back to the recurring uh, question about how to spend it. What's the plan for, for growth? How do you plan to, uh, to spend a large pile of cash? Is it reduction of debt, acquisitions, buyback, fleet growth? Yeah.
0: I think we, of course, the biggest item here is dividends. We paid out uh, $200 million of dividend the last uh, 12 months or the last four quarters. So that is, of course, the main source of of spending money. Uh, We think uh, new buildings are pricey these days. Uh, If we ordered, uh, I'm not sure whether we get a 27 slot, maybe it would be 28. Uh, you know we have two ships coming open in 27 two ships early 28 we do think it's better business for us to to fix those ships on longer term contracts rather than building new ships and try to compete with those ships with our existing fleets. so we try to be disciplined and we structure the financing as knut mentioned on a very flexible manner where the the cost of of having that depth is low uh and and then we will see we, we you know we, <laughs> This is a long-term LNG is a long-term uh, business, so so uh, we just try to be disciplined when 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 uh, call it new building prices are high, and then we uh, have access to capital very cheaply where we can act on opportunities, if if we see opportunities. Uh, if not, we will just keep on doing what we're doing, fixing ships and paying dividends, and I hope hope that, that is appreciated by most investors.
1: I think we'll uh, round off then. Uh, here's a contender for uh, for the bath towels. Do you ever get tired of winning? <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> you don't have to answer, but I <laughs> think we rounded off, and now it's the time to uh, disclose. Uh, yeah, let's
0: rather talk about the winner, because that's going to be Min Nguyen, who uh, had a good question about uh, technology on... on on new buildings today versus the ships we have in our fleet? I think that's a good question. Uh, It's something we talked about in the past, but it's been a while since we touched on the topic. So congratulations to you. Uh, You will have the full summer kit. And then uh, before we adjourn, I just think I want to say thank you to all our seafarers, uh, to all the people uh, in the docks uh, uh, who have done a fantastic job on Flex Endeavour and the Flex Enterprise dockings, which has been Perfect in terms of budget and, and timing and but the ships are back with the charters who are happy to trade them again We have two more to go this year next year. We will only have two dry dockings um, So with that I also would like to thank or I would like to extend to our Norwegian uh, l- Viewers uh, that I hope you all have a happy constitution. T- day here tomorrow May 17th is the biggest day in Norway Where's a lot of celebration. So with that, thank you, everybody. And we will be back uh, uh, in August with our second quarter presentation. We will also be in New York uh, on uh, June 20th and onwards uh, for presentations. So for those who are interested, uh, maybe uh, you can join the Marine Morning Conference and uh, we will do some presentation there as well. Okay, thank you.